Today's broadcast was originally recorded on April 26, 2023. If the Republicans are able to hold the state house and, and reclaim the state senate, then maybe it's possible to get rid of 45 days of early voting. Wait, what? Get rid of 45 days of early voting? You trying to suppress the vote? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Of course you are. I got the feeling that something ain't right. That's what you guys do. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And we try to stop it. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOY and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Pennsylvania, Lanchester, Pennsylvania on W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet. on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. All right, coming up momentarily, some good old fashioned muckraking and troublemaking, Desi Doyan. Oh, we do from, like that. We do. From a few uh, journalists who are shedding light on the GOP's secret scheme to undermine the 2024 elections. And yes, even this November's legislative elections in states like Virginia. In uh, in 2023, actually, it's a Commonwealth. Uh, anyway, we've got uh, some inside skinny on two such efforts. A GOP donors meeting about two weeks ago with audio from inside the meeting on how far right GOP voter fraud fraudsters are now raising money to game elections. And even more disturbingly, a secret gathering of Republican election officials, secretaries of state. From about a dozen GOP-run states who secretly met earlier this year with the nation's most notorious longtime voter suppression scoundrels. Uh, One of the journalists who uncovered details of that meeting will join us momentarily. But at this point, in between elections anyway, it seems like we're getting damn near to the point where we now have government by lawsuit, I think. Which, of course, makes the Republican Packing and corruption of our court system, system, as we discussed on our previous broadcast with uh, our guest Lisa Graves, uh, frankly, all the more dire. You can download that show for free at bradblog.com if you missed it. But in any event, uh, by way of just a few of today's latest example, the Walt, Walt Disney Company on Wednesday filed a lawsuit in federal court against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and other officials 
alleging a, quote, targeted campaign of government retaliation after the company publicly dared to oppose a state law that critics called Don't Say Gay. That's the measure instituted by DeSantis and the GOP Florida State Legislature that bans discussion of gender and and sexuality in all public school grades, not just K through three, as DeSantis initially pretended, but now in all grades, K through 12 in the once great state of Florida. Disney and DeSantis have been embroiled in a feud over Disney World's self-governing privileges in the Orlando area, which they have had for decades. And the Republican presidential contender has attempted to revoke, even as the corporation is one of the state's largest employers. It's a key driver of tourism in the Sunshine State. This power struggle started when Disney dared to criticize the Florida government for the Don't Say Gay law, which DeSantis signed in March of last year. Disney's lawsuit alleges that a retaliation campaign was then, quote, orchestrated at every step by Governor DeSantis as punishment for Disney's protected speech. Yes, the party that claims to be fighting for free speech, they're not. Uh, They're, in fact, passing laws to squelch it, whether it's at Disney or by DeSantis's other laws that ban books in the state that they you know, that the state finds objectionable, ban the books from public libraries. That punishment by DeSantis to Disney's protected speech, quote, now threatens Disney's business operations jeopardizes its economic future in the region and violates its constitutional rights. From the lawsuit, uh, having exhausted efforts to seek a resolution, the company is left with no choice but to file this lawsuit to protect its cast members, guests, and local development partners from a relentless campaign to weaponize government power against Disney in retaliation for expressing a political viewpoint unpopular with certain state officials, unquote. In other words, Ron DeSantis's fragile ego is going to cost taxpayers in Florida millions of dollars. And at the same time, they are doing exactly what Republicans are pretending the Democrats are doing uh, by weaponizing the government. That's exactly literally what they're doing here. In other government by lawsuit news today, the uh, Trump era brought a a bunch of criticism against the media, as you know, as Trump declared the free press to be, quote, the enemy of the people. And in the wake of that, there's been a number of lawsuits brought against the free press and free speech, which has disturbed some First Amendment champions, which, by the way, I consider myself to be. But. Not all First Amendment-related lawsuits are created equal. And if you're uh, a media outlet striving to report the truth, I would argue, at least for now, you don't have much to fear uh, that even with Trump and DeSantis and certain far-right members of the Supreme Court trying to change that and take away those constitutional protections. On the other hand, if you're, say, Fox News who regularly lies about everything and everyone, well... You know, lie all you want, I guess, about public officials because it's difficult for them to sue in return. But lie about a private corporation like Dominion or Smartmatic and their voting systems. Well, that could cost you. Am I right, Rupert Murdoch? (laughs) Speech is free, but lies are going to cost you. 
And then there is the uh, Trump era notion that it should be easier for public officials to sue private media outlets and individuals for defamation and libel. Former far right Republican wingnut congressman turned Trump social media CEO Devin Nunes has been testing that theory only to find out the hard way. Well, it ain't going to work so well. A federal judge this week has thrown out libel suits for Congressman Devin Nunes and his relatives uh, that they had filed over a 2018 article in Esquire alleging that a dairy farm owned by Nunez's family members hired undocumented workers. Big mistake. U.S. District Court Judge C.J. Williams ruled that the claims at issue in writer Ryan Liz's story headlined Devin Nunez's family farm is hiding a politically explosive secret. The judge found that the claims made in that article were essentially accurate. The judge said the uh, that conclusion was fatal to the suits that was brought uh, that were brought by Nunez, his relatives and the company used to operate the dairy a company named New Star Farms. New Star is spelled N.U. Star, as in N.U. Nunez, I guess. Quote, the assertion that New Star knowingly used undocumented labor is substantially, objectively true. <laughs> wrote Judge Williams, who, by the way, is an appointee to the federal court by former President Donald Trump. In the uh, 101-page opinion issued Tuesday, Williams said evidence developed during the litigation showed that the farm employed numerous workers who provided names and Social Security numbers that did not match Social, Social Security Administration records. Quote, this court ordered the SSA to verify the Social Security numbers of all disclosed New Star, New Star Farms employees. Of those employees who New Star plaintiffs employed, 243 of 319 employees' names, dates of birth, and Social Security numbers did not match the SSA records. In other words, they were faked. The Esquire was right. Nunez employed hundreds of undocumented immigrant workers at his own family's farm. Judge Williams said there was testimony and evidence that the farm was warned about such mismatches, uh, that they accepted expired credentials anyway, and that they did not properly complete forms designed to verify that workers were authorized to work in the U.S., likely because the company did not want to know that they were not authorized to work in the U.S. Judge Williams also noted the new star has never used the Department of Homeland Security's voluntary program to check worker eligibility for employment, a program called E-Verify. In a deposition in the case, Nunez called E-Verify a failed program, said it does not work and is discriminatory, according <laughs> to the judge. But uh, he, Williams noted that Nunes praised that same program during a 2019 Fox News interview, suggesting that it should be mandatory for companies. You know, back when California, the California congressman was pretending to be against undocumented immigrant workers. So I guess he was for the program before he was against it, at least for his own company. Quote, it's worked really, really well. Nunez said 
on Fox. And that means if everybody was certified by the government that everybody working for you is, in fact, here on a legal permit, that in the long run is great. Unless it's his own family farm, apparently. The failed suits against Lizza and his publisher were part of a flurry of at least 10 suits Nunes filed beginning in 2019 against media organizations, journalists, critics he accused of defaming him. The most famous suit sought $250 million from Twitter. Republican political strategist Liz Mayer and anonymous figures operating Twitter accounts labeled as Devin Nunes's mom and Devin Nunes's cow. <laughs> A Virginia judge dismissed Twitter from the case back in 2020. Another judge ordered the suit against Mayer and her firm to be dismissed in 2021. The suit against the operators of the anonymous Twitter accounts continue. <laughs> and quickly, uh, before we get to our guest today, we are uh, we're going to be off tomorrow, whether I like it or not. And I don't. But I got a medical thing. I got a couldn't schedule for another day. So I wanted to make sure to get to this item finally, which I have been trying to get to uh, for more than a week. Yes, it is some election news. In fact, election results news that I'm only now just getting to. This is from the April four elections when. Uh, as you will recall, the biggest news was liberals in Wisconsin had finally won back a majority on the state Supreme Court there for the first time in a decade and a half. And a progressive former teacher and union member, Brandon Johnson, was elected mayor in Chicago on that same day. And also, as we detailed uh, a few weeks later, six out of seven seats that were up for grabs on the Anchorage, Alaska Assembly, sort of the equivalent of the city council there, but where some 40 percent of Alaskans actually live. Six out of seven seats went to Democrats in the otherwise red state, allowing them to retain a supermajority in what could be uh, a blue Alaska in the years ahead if the current trends continue. But then there is this via Politico. Uh, they write, amid all the attention on April's elections in Wisconsin and Illinois, one outcome with major implications for 2024 flew under the national radar. School board candidates who ran culture war campaigns flamed out. Well, that sounds like it could be bad news for folks like Ron DeSantis, who's already flaming out of his 2024 campaign, it seems. But it's a campaign that seems to be based on nothing but these dumb culture war issues. Democrats and teachers unions boasted candidates that they backed in Midwestern suburbs had trounced their opponents in the once sleepy races. The winning record, they said, was particularly noticeable in elections where so-called conservative candidates emphasized agendas packed with race, gender identity and parental involvement in classrooms. While there's no official overall tally of school board results in states that held elections on April 4, two right-wing national education groups did not dispute that their candidates posted losing records. Liberals are now making the case that their winning bids for school board seats in Illinois and Wisconsin showed that they can beat back Republican attacks on divisive education issues. The results could also serve as a renewed warning to Republicans like Trump and DeSantis. 
General election voters are less interested in crusades against critical race theory and transgender students than they are in, you know, funding schools and ensuring they are safe. Kim Anderson, the executive director of the National Education Association Labor Union, said where culture war issues were being waged by some school board candidates, those issues fell flat with voters. We lost more than we won, said Ryan Gerdusky, founder of the right wing 1776 project, which has ties to a GOP mega donor and billionaire and had endorsed an array of school board candidates this spring and during the last year's uh, 2022 midterms. Quote, we didn't lose everything. We didn't get obliterated, Gerdusky told Politico. So we just have to keep on pushing forward on this, he said. Yes, please proceed, Governor. (laughs) Labor groups and Democratic operatives are flexing over the defeat of candidates that they opposed during races that took place near Chicago and in Wisconsin. But so-called conservative board hopefuls also saw mixed results in red states like Missouri and Oklahoma. Nonetheless, GOP-controlled states are carrying out sharp restrictions on classroom lessons, on LGBTQ students, library books. Trump, DeSantis, other Republican presidential hopefuls are leaning on school-based wedge issues to try and court primary voters in a crowded White House campaign. That rhetoric has inspired a wave of so-called conservative challengers to run for school board seats, but it may not be working out as well as they had hoped. And it may come back to bite them during a general election. For example, in Oswego, Illinois, a small community in Chicago's far southwestern suburbs, the 1776 Project supported four candidates running as part of a We the Parents slate, Each of those candidates lost. A group of right-wing candidates in the wealthy Chicago suburb of Barrington who were backed by the 1776 PAC and Moms for Moms for America Action and Awake Illinois. The names of some of these groups. They also all lost their school board bids. Overall, the 1776 project endorsed 14 candidates but won just six races in Illinois. The Democratic Party of Illinois, meanwhile, said 84 of 117 candidates the party recommended, in fact, won their April 4 races. Wauwatosa, Wisconsin's GOP-backed aspirants also lost by wide margins to teacher union-supported candidates. But uh, Moms for Liberty... (laughs) A newly uh, prominent, apparently prominent right wing group, Moms for Liberty, that helps train and endorse school board candidates. They said just eight of its candidates won races in Wisconsin. The group had endorsed candidates in another 20 elections, its founder said. And of course, they were all losers. Bummer. And these uh, culture war issues. Frankly, at this point, they are about the only thing that the right seems to have left. So, yeah, if they can't win on their unpopular positions on real policies, on things like, you know, gun safety, abortion rights, tax cuts for the rich, if they can't win on uh, phony culture war issues, then, well, what is left? I think I know. 
they can prevent certain voters from being able to vote at all in the first place. That's the trick. And sadly, that is very much what the GOP is now working very hard to do before next year's presidential election. Let's take a quick break here. We will come back with the latest on that story with a guest who has uncovered some of the sleazy secret stuff that top Republican elected state election officials are actually now doing in secret, in cahoots with the GOP's top voter fraud fraudsters. And our uh, latest, by the way, our latest Green News report with (laughs) Desi Doyen. That is also ahead today. All of that is ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. Listen, do you want to know a secret? I do. Promise not to tell. No. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. No, I do not promise to not tell these secrets. A top Republican strategist and longtime GOP voter fraud fraudster told a room of GOP donors two weekends ago that Republicans must band together to limit voting on college campuses as well as same-day voter registration and automatic mailing of ballots to registered voters, according to a copy of her presentation reviewed by The Washington Post. Cleta Mitchell, a longtime GOP lawyer and fundraiser who worked closely with former President Donald Trump to try to steal the results of the 2020 presidential election, as The Washington Post describes her, gave the presentation at a Republican National Committee donors retreat in Nashville about two weeks ago. Now, if Cleta Mitchell's name is familiar, it may be because she was the Trump lawyer on the phone with him during his infamous phone call to Republican Secretary Georgia's Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger after the 2020 election when Trump was attempting to strong arm Raffensperger into, quote, finding the 11,000 votes that he would need to steal that state from Joe Biden that year. Mitchell's presentation in Nashville to GOP donors, which had more than 50 slides and was labeled, quote, a level playing field for 2024, offered a window into a strategy that seems designed to reduce voter access and turnout among, well, certain groups, as the Post reported last week, including students and those who vote by mail, both of which tend to skew, of course, Democratic. We know about this presentation because it was captured via audio obtained by our friend Lauren Windsor of The Undercurrents, a web news show. Lauren posted the audio from Mitchell to Twitter as an exclusive with the text, quote, Trump coup attorney Cleta Mitchell wants to, quote, 
combat voting on college campuses, citing North Carolina and Wisconsin, both battleground states, and says that when Republicans win the state Senate in Virginia this November, they can eliminate 45 days of early voting and same-day voter registration. You'll hear in this brief audio clip Mitchell's reference to Wisconsin, where young voters were key in the state's critical Supreme Court election in early April, helping to win a liberal majority on the state's high court for the first time in more than 15 years. I think that we can fix a few things in North Carolina because I think we we have uh, we now have a legislature controlled by the Republicans. Um, um, but these are statutory changes that we could get done in North Carolina. So we need to, we need to be looking at one of these college campus locations in Poland. What is this young people uh, effort that they do? They, they basically put the polling place next to the student dorm so they just had to roll out of bed and go back to bed. Um, and we need to build strong election integrity task forces in those counties. Virginia, we have a great task force uh, in every county in Virginia and we have a great statewide coalition. They, the governor just signed a bill yesterday that get, does away with signatures on absentee ballot applications and ballots. That makes Virginia back in play, frankly. Uh, Wisconsin is a big problem because of the polling locations on college campuses. Their goal for the Supreme Court race was to turn out 240,000 college students in that Supreme Court race. And we don't have anything like that, and we need to figure out how to do that and how to combat that. And uh, we'll see what happens in Virginia this fall. If, we, if the Republicans are able to hold the state house and, and reclaim the state Senate, then maybe it's possible to get rid of 45 days of early voting in Virginia. I mean, there are several things that they can do. They can get rid of same-day registration, but they can't do that now because the Democrats still hold the state Senate. That was Republican attorney Cleta Mitchell at a, a secret donors meeting for uh, GOP donors, essentially, uh, talking about how they're going to try to make it hard for voters to vote in uh, the upcoming months and years. By the way, college students, no matter how many of them there are, are legally allowed to vote. At another point in the presentation, Mitchell, who heads an organization deceptively called Election Integrity Network, reportedly said that the nation's electoral systems must be saved, quote, for any candidate other than a leftist to have a chance to win in 2024. Quote, the left has manipulated the electoral systems to favor one side. Theirs, she wrote in the slides presentation. By that, I guess she means manipulated, you know, uh, working hard to allow for all eligible voters who wish to vote to be able to vote. She went on to warn the audience of GOP donors, quote, our constitutional republic's survival is at stake. At stake if everyone votes? I guess so. According to the Post, some advisors to other elected officials were frustrated that the RNC allowed Trump's advisor to speak at a major event, given her role on behalf of Trump after the election and her repeated false claims about voter fraud back in 2020. In Trump's own private comments to the donors at the event, he said that he eventually wants to end all mail and all early voting. 
That, according to audio obtained by The Post. Mitchell, for her part, has been a prominent Republican lawyer. She was part uh, a partner in the firm Foley and Lardner, but resigned a day after that infamous Raffensperger phone call as she and Trump sought to strong-arm Georgia's Secretary of State into stealing the election for Trump. She was let go by the firm following a statement criticizing her participation in that call and her involvement with Trump. But that does not mean she is not welcome in GOP donor circles or, for that matter, perhaps much more disturbingly, among Republican state election officials. As Ed Pilkington of The Guardian and Jamie Corey of Documented.net reported earlier in April, three of the most prominent right-wing groups which spread election denial lies and advocate for restrictions on voting rights in the U.S. have now joined forces in a secret attempt to woo top election officials in Republican-controlled states. Led by the Washington-based conservative think tank, the Heritage Foundation, the groups have created an incubator of policies that would restrict access to the ballot box and amplify false claims that fraud is rampant. Details of a two-day so-called Secretaries of State conference held in Washington in February were obtained by the watchdog group documented and shared with The Guardian. Officials from 13 Republican-controlled states, including 10 uh, top election administrators from those states, participated in this secret event where attendees discuss controversial so-called election integrity ideas of the sort weaponized by Donald Trump. Among the participants were nine secretaries of state and Virginia's election commissioner, all of whom preside over both statewide and federal elections in their states, including next year's presidential contest. A list of attendees includes the chief election officials of Indiana, Florida, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia. Documented also obtained the conference agenda, which lists a number of Trump associates among the speakers. They include Ken Cuccinelli, who, as Trump's acting deputy secretary for Homeland Security, played a key role in setting election policies for the Trump administration. He now runs the so-called Election Transparency Initiative, which is fighting Democratic efforts in Congress to shore up voting rights and has been active in pushing state-level vote restriction measures. But arguably, as disturbingly, was the presence of folks like Cleta Mitchell and several long, long-time GOP voter fraud fraudsters whose names you may recognize. One is J. Christian Adams, a former Justice Department lawyer, who tried to use the Voting Rights Act to claim voting discrimination against white people when he was there under George W. Bush. Another is an insidious former DOJ attorney, also under George W. Bush, with a memorable James Bond villain-sounding name. That would be Hans von Spakovsky. And also there was the former corrupt Secretary of State of Ohio, Republican Secretary of State Ken Blackwell, who infamously suppressed an unknown number of votes during Ohio's notorious 2004 presidential election, which decided the election for George W. Bush that year. And, well, Blackwell now chairs the so-called Center for Election Integrity at the America First Policy Institute, a right-wing think tank led by 
former Trump officials, a rogues gallery to be sure. But the fact that they were speaking not to Republican donors or supporters, but to actual elected chief election officials about this stuff should be alarming to all pro-democracy advocates. And the fact that this confab featuring public officials organized by the far-right Heritage Foundation was secret kind of makes it all the more disturbing. As Pilkington and Corey note, among the records obtained by Documented is an email from Von Spakovsky, who now leads the foundation's election work, voter suppression work, I should say, uh, an email responding to a query about the event from a Texas official. Von Spakovsky responded to the official by saying, quote, there is no live stream. This is not a public event. It is a private, confidential meeting of the secretaries. I would rather you not send out a press release about it. Well, if all the work that they're doing is, you know, to just shore up election integrity, why the secrecy, Hans? Joining us now to discuss this secret confab and, and how we even learned about it in the first place is Jamie Corey, senior researcher with the nonprofit watchdog group Documented, where she works to shine a light on the corporate influence in state and national politics and investigates efforts to dismantle our democracy. She must be very busy these days. Oh, Jamie Corey, uh, I know we had to juggle your appearance on the show around a few times because of various breaking news over the past week or two. Thank you for sticking with us and welcome finally to the broadcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Now, before we get into some of the details here on, on what was discussed at this secret meeting of uh, public officials, uh, how unusual uh, is such a, a meeting of, of Republican elected officials? Uh, you, you guys at, at Documented unearthed the program, the literal agenda at this conference. Um, but who, I want to talk about who was speaking and, and leading the seminars, what they were discussing. What can you tell me by a little bit more of the background of these folks I've highlighted, uh, whether it's Cleta Mitchell, J. Christian Adams, Hans von Spakovsky, J. Kenneth Blackwell? Have I understated or overstated uh, their backgrounds in painting them as what I have long seen as, you know, anti-democracy voter suppression villains, to be frank? Is that is that an overstatement, an understatement? statement? No, and, you know, this is not new. I mean, they've been at it for quite a while, but obviously their efforts are having more of an impact on our democracy, especially after what happened um, during the 2020 presidential election. And it's even more concerning that they're ramping up their efforts and continuing uh, their activities in advance of mm -hmm. the 2024 presidential election. Now, this was billed as a, quote, secretaries of state conference, but it wasn't that. It appears it was only Republican secretaries of state. I'm, I'm correct about that, right? There was 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 there any uh, even token Democrats at this secretaries of state conference? No. And this is actually, according to the event invitation we obtained, this was actually the sixth year in a row they have held this event and they have public or they've privately bragged mm -hmm. um, Hans has um, to donors that they are excited that it's just for conservative secretaries of state they don't hide that so no Democrats allowed wow uh, you know I've heard of, uh, you know, there are various partisan secretary of state groups, but they're usually the ones that I know about anyway are usually folks who are running for secretary of state. For, like there was uh, something called the Secretary of State's Project some years ago. It was a Democratic group back in the 2000s. They were fighting to win 
Secretary of State races to, you know, to get Democrats into office. Uh, there was a similar GOP effort last year called the America First Secretary of State Coalition, I think. Uh, pretty much all of their candidates ended up losing. I think one guy might have won in, in Montana or Idaho or something. I can't recall. But usually... After they are elected, you know, these chief state election officials, they meet in in bipartisan gatherings like uh, NAS, the National Association of Secretaries of State, or NASED, the National Association of of, uh, State Election Directors. Uh, But this has been going on for seven years. Have we known about this group uh, up until this year, until you guys got the agenda on this? And is there any equivalent Democratic chief election officials uh, meeting or conference or group that you know of, Jamie? Well, we certainly haven't seen Democratic secretaries of state being briefed um, on how to suppress the vote um, by both the left or the right. Mm -hmm. Um, That is that is not something we've seen in our research. We have seen uh, previously in 2021, we reported about the Republican State Leadership Committee kind of hosting a very similar event for secretaries of state Mm. with a lot of the voter suppression groups. So unfortunately, this is not a first time situation. And and like I said before, this is the sixth year in a row that Heritage has held this event. And uh, we were not the first to report about this event happening during the early days of the pandemic, Heritage Foundation managed to still hold this event virtually. And that's really obviously when the efforts um, for mail-in voting started to ramp up and the right started to attack that. So that was a really crucial time to mm-hmm. be meeting with secretaries of state. Uh, were you or uh, or The Guardian able to get any comment from the organizing groups here or the coordinators or attendees at this, uh, it was a two-day conference, it looks like, in February, to explain... Um, you know, what what it was, what was it about uh, publicly uh, when they were asked about it, this closed-door event, even though it had public officials there? Yeah, unfortunately, we weren't able to get any more information other than general talking points from Hans, and that is really what they wanted. They wanted this to be, as you said earlier, a private confidential event um, that was just held for the secretary. So, uh, and. I mentioned earlier about Hans bragging about this event to donors. Mm -hmm. He even highlighted the fact that this is such a secretive um, event that, you know, that has drive the left crazy. But the only reason that it's drive us crazy is because these people are directing these election officials in private. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, And and it looks like you got a comment from Von Spakovsky saying uh, the claim that secure elections somehow promote greater restrictions is outrageous, has been clearly disproven. Uh, He called this an educational summit. But if there's nothing to hide here, if that's all they're doing is securing elections, why are they only talking to Republicans and why are they keeping the whole thing secret? Uh, Zach Roth, a democracy reporter over at News from the States, uh, he picked up on this matter. Uh, He reports U.S. Election Assistance Commissioner Donald Palmer, the former chief election official in Virginia, was a panelist at this thing, at this conference. Now, the EAC is supposed to be the nation's bipartisan federal agency to help facilitate elections and voting systems and so forth. Palmer was a Trump appointee to the uh, four-member 
bipartisan EAC. Uh, he, he described the meeting as, quote, an important opportunity to engage. But he was only engaging with Republicans at this meeting. Have we seen EAC officials sort of go rogue like this in a partisan way uh, before, to your knowledge? It's the first I've ever seen it. Uh, one of these guys show up at one of these meetings like this. Unfortunately, that's also not the first time this has happened. Um, Palmer himself has participated in secretive sessions that the American Legislative Exchange Council, also known as ALEC, has held about um, elections. (laughs) Uh They call it the Process Working Group. Uh And so, unfortunately, yeah, this is not the first time he showed up at such a partisan discussion about elections. Donald Palmer. I guess I need to learn about him. Um, so, uh, Jamie, Corey, what was uh, what was laid out at these various seminars held over these two days at this secret meeting in February? What was uh, what was discussed that we need to know about? Yeah. So there were several items on the agenda, um, including audits, litigation and the Electronic Registration Information Center, which is also known as ERIC. Mm -hmm. That is a voter roll program utilized by both Democratic and Republican-led states Mm -hmm. to perform cross-state voter registration checks. Mm -hmm. And ERIC has actually been the target of right-wing conspiracy theories in the last several months. And as a result, many of the uh, Republican-led states are actually withdrawing from a program that... uh, a lot of these voter suppression proponents were actually um, in favor of several years ago because it's supposed to um, crack down on voter fraud. Well, they were in favor of a similar program to Eric called Crosscheck, which was really poorly done and identified a bunch of uh, false po- thousands, hundreds of thousands of false positives. It didn't match up. It it gave the impression that people were voting in more than one state when actually they weren't. Eric was supposed to be the legitimate version of that idea uh, that you know was not a, a partisan right wing uh, scheme as Crosscheck was. Um, in theory, these folks should like a program like Eric because it does help identify people who vote twice in, in two different states. And yet now they're complaining, uh, now they're describing Eric as a, a, a partisan organization? Absolutely. And part of uh, one of the co-hosts of the event for the first time, actually, is the Public Interest Legal Foundation, also mm-hmm. called PILF. And yeah. they have been at the forefront of trying to drive these right-wing conspiracy theories against uh, the ERIC program. Mm. So it's quite it's quite astonishing. They have also, that PILF group has brought a bunch of uh, phony cases, essentially. I don't know how else to describe them uh, uh, to the Supreme Court on all manner of right-wing nonsense. Jamie, I, I, uh, I don't necessarily want you to give away your sources here, of course, but how, how did uh, Documented unearth the details of this particular meeting uh, held back in February, but as far as I know, you know, didn't come to light until documented uh, find found uh, documented found out about it and and shined a light on it. Yeah, part of the work we do at Documented is reveal who's trying to influence public policy behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So one way we're able to do that is by filing public record requests, and that's how we obtained email correspondence and documents related uh. to the event, such as the agenda and attendee list. Ah, very good. Smartly done. I, and I listen, I, I, I'm not, uh, running short on time here, but I, I don't think there's anything unlawful about a meeting like this per se. Um, but as you see it, what should voters now be concerned about here regarding both the 
the partisan nature and the secretive nature of such meetings by top state election officials in advance of, well, you heard Cleta Mitchell at that donors meeting talking about the Virginia elections coming up this November. Uh, but next year's uh, presidential race, uh, you know, why, why should we be alarmed by this particular uh, sort of meeting? Well, voters should be concerned when you have election officials participating in a, quote, private confidential meeting with former Trump associates, top voter suppression proponents, and groups who've been actively pushing false claims around elections. And as the agenda pointed out, there was a cocktail reception and dinner after the first day of the substantive sessions wrapped up. Mm-hmm. So what you have there is top election officials who are going to be overseeing that 2024 presidential election in their respective states whining and dining with all these problematic people that we've discussed today. (laughs) Problematic is a very nice way to put it, Jamie. You're very polite. Uh, Listen, thank you uh, for shining a light on this uh, to you and the folks that documented. Uh, Please keep doing so. Please stay in touch. Uh, As you unearth more of this, I suspect it's going to get worse before it gets better uh, over the next, uh, well, few months and over the next year or so. Uh, So thank you for this report. We'll link uh, over to your uh, good work here. Jamie Corey is a senior researcher with Documented.net, where you can find a whole bunch of stuff that they do. You can also follow them on the Twitters at It's Documented. And you can find Jamie herself at Jamie Corey on Twitter. Jamie, really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. You know, this is not, just to be clear, Yeah. this is not the way democracy and public elections are supposed to work. We're, True. <laughs> we're, we're not supposed to have this type of secrecy regarding our, our public election officials other than, you know, the secret ballot. Everything else is supposed to be transparent. We're not talking about, uh, you know, partisan election strategies that that can be secret, obviously. But the, the way elections themselves are run and weaponizing election officials to prevent legal voters from voting. It's appalling. It's undemocratic. It's un. American, and yet it appears to now be an industry for uh, GOP voter fraud fraudsters, those who claim Democrats are committing fraud as an excuse for Republicans to actually commit voter suppression. I mean, it's nothing new, but they are definitely uh, ramping up this uh, these efforts, and it's becoming a cottage industry, it seems. A well-paid cottage industry. I mean, obviously, this is how much voting actually matters. Otherwise, Republicans would not work so hard and spend so much money to stop you from voting. Pay attention, folks. Uh, Right now, I I think it's clear that given the unpopularity of their ideas, Republicans are beginning to understand that, you know, between gerrymandering and voter suppression, that's the only way they're going to be able to win elections going forward. So, yes, pay attention. Stay alert. Green News Report is next on the broadcast, along with a quick programming note. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves by stopping by Bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. 
You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. My thanks again to Jamie Corey of Documented.net. A couple of uh, quick breaking items here, uh, breaking news items, Des, uh, coming in while I was speaking with Jamie. One. The uh, Montana Republicans have voted to ban, this is the Montana House, have voted to ban uh, Rep. Zoe Zephyr, the only transgender lawmaker in the body, uh, for uh, having criticized her colleagues for restricting trans rights. They have now banned her from the chamber. Wow. For the rest of the session, apparently. Uh, we'll see how that works out. It didn't work out so well when Republican lawmakers in Tennessee tried to do that to two lawmakers down there. Also, the uh, Republican-led House has passed a bill, a symbolic bill, in fact, to uh, raise the debt limit by $1.5 trillion in exchange for huge spending cuts as... Um, Speaker McCarthy is challenging President Biden to negotiate before a default. The president has said he's not interested in negotiating on raising the debt limit. That is about borrowing money in order to pay our bills. It is not about spending. That's a whole different process, the spending, the budget bill. Uh, and, of course, Republicans raised the debt limit three different times without complaining about spending under Donald Trump, where spending was increasing. Then the deficit was increasing. It's been uh, uh, deficit has been decreasing every year since Joe Biden has taken office. But now Republicans are pretending to be concerned about spending and they are uh, threatening to hold the uh, nation's and world economy hostage in order to do so if they don't get these uh, deep cuts. Now, they may have fallen into a trap because they may have called for cuts to a whole bunch of popular stuff. Yeah. Haven't had the chance to look and see what they finally passed in this package, but uh, but, but we will safe see. to say that it's stuff that they could not pass on their own in regular order. That's why they're trying to hold the nation hostage. In other words, vote for what we want, or the economy gets it. Is there anything they do that is popular at this point with anyone <laughs> that they don't have to you know force? hold somebody hostage or throw somebody out or prevent them from voting at all in order to make happen. You starting to see a pattern here? I know I am. All right, let's get to our uh, latest GNR and a program note thereafter. Let's get to it. Our latest Green News Report. The Environmental Protection Agency will call for restrictions on all future and existing power plants that run on coal or natural gas. Biden EPA to launch new landmark effort to limit carbon pollution. Climate change isn't a future problem. It is a current problem. Earth hits grim new records for global ice loss and rising seas. Plus, environmental justice will become the responsibility of every single federal agency. I mean, every single federal agency. President Biden boosts environmental justice. All of those boosts and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Will we step up to our ambitions? Will we stand together? to meet the great challenges we have. Will we preserve our planet for future generations? No, I don't think so. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Dizzy Doyen, 
Big news from the EPA this week. Oh, yes, indeed. As we go to air, the Environmental Protection Agency is on the verge of proposing new rules requiring the nation's power plants to cut their carbon emissions. How quickly can the Republicans write a lawsuit against that? Oh, instantly. Yeah. It matters because electricity from coal and natural gas-fired power plants is the second largest source of greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S. after transportation. If adopted, the new draft pollution standards would require utility companies to capture nearly all carbon emissions from their smokestacks by 2040, leaving the companies to determine how, either by switching to clean renewable sources like wind and solar, or by using costly new technology to capture emissions from their smokestacks. Or by filing a lawsuit. No commercial power plants in the United States use carbon capture technology right now, and the new rules are expected to trigger an immediate challenge from Republican control states in the Supreme Court, which blocked a previous Obama-era effort. Of course. Meanwhile, the Earth broke grim new records for melting glaciers, rising sea levels, and ocean warming in 2022, caused primarily by the burning of fossil fuels. The World Meteorological Organization's annual State of the Global Climate Report, released on Earth Day, confirms that the past eight years were the hottest eight years in the instrumental record. Last year, the oceans hit a new all-time record high for heat content. Antarctic sea ice fell to its lowest extent on record. 60% of the ocean surface saw at least one marine heat wave. Average global sea levels also reached record highs, and the rate of sea level rise itself has doubled since 1993. Mm. Additional evidence that man-made climate change is accelerating. Mm. The report also found, quote, off-the-charts melting of the world's glaciers, and that matters for millions of people around the world who rely on glacier meltwater for drinking water and food production. Off the charts melting. Yep. Here in the U.S., about one in three people in the United States breathe polluted air that harms their health and shortens their lives. And it's primarily from gas-powered vehicles and industrial plants. That's according to the American Lung Association's annual State of the Air report, which found that increasing wildfires, drought, and inequality have stalled improving air quality efforts, with low-income and communities of color disproportionately affected. It also found that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's hometown of Bakersfield is the most polluted city in the entire United States. Yep, and McCarthy has proposed repealing clean energy provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act climate law. But the vast majority of Americans support federal government action to address climate change. According to new Pew Research data, 70% of Americans want the government to prioritize renewable energy sources like wind and solar over-expanding production of fossil fuels. But there's a deep partisan divide. 80% of Democrats consider climate change a major threat. Only 23% of Republicans do. Lucky they got gerrymandering. President Biden criticized McCarthy and Republicans when he signed an executive order creating the Office of Environmental Justice in the White House to ensure that poverty, race, and ethnic status do not lead to worse exposure to pollution and environmental harm. Nice. Environmental justice will be the mission of the entire government, woven directly into how we work with state, local, tribal, and territorial governments. This is an order directs the federal agencies to address gaps in science and technology. Nice. About time. 
And finally, the U.S. Supreme Court on Monday rejected an attempt by big oil to delay climate liability lawsuits brought by U.S. cities and states trying to hold oil companies accountable for costly damages caused by man-made climate change. Big oil was trying to move the cases to friendlier federal courts, but the Supreme Court declined to bail them out on that. Nice. Are you okay, Supreme Court? For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Oh, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Yeah, what's going on? What is going on with the Supreme Court? Doing the right thing? Just once. Probably not going to make a habit. Don't get used to it. You're right. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again to our guest, Jamie Corey of Documented.net. Thanks to Desi Doyen, our fantastic producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download all of them for free at bradblog.com, where there is no paywall. Because we are indebted to you, the public, for helping us to continue uh, on your public airwaves. Thanks to those of you who donate at bradblog.com slash donate. And now is a great time to uh, stop on by. We could really use the support. Thanks in advance. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, I am the Bradblog. Desi is... Green News Report. Yes. There you go. So you can <laughs> On say both Twitter and Mastodon. So please come by and say hi. Say hello to her, too. Uh, that's it. All right. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. What's going on?